0: Welcome to the Servants' Feast Christian Ministry Podcast with Rev. Elizabeth Moreau. Elizabeth wrote the From Called to Sent Discipleship series that includes six books and two retreats for the intellectual and spiritual development of Christians in the local church. In Elizabeth's From Called to Sent series, she often tells us there is more. Christianity is so much more than just attending church and Sunday school. The riches of our faith are beyond what we can hope or imagine. Jesus tells us that he came that we might have life and have it abundantly. Elizabeth passionately teaches the treasures of Christian life to the end that we grow and mature and experience an abundant life in Christ. Her reflections on topics and issues of the day always point to Jesus with the purpose of advancing his kingdom. She desires for us all to understand the deep and rich heritage we inherit from the historic and universal church. In Romans, Paul tells us, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. With this thought, let us continue our journey of transformation and renewal as Elizabeth shares her teaching through this podcast.
1: Well, welcome. This is Elizabeth, and I am so glad to be here with you today, and I appreciate you so much for listening. Um, I must confess, I know that I've kind of been out of pocket and um, I'm running behind. It's been, a, it's been crazy busy the last couple of weeks. It's been good. I've had a good couple of weeks, but it has been really busy. Um, so there's a lot of different things on my mind today, a lot of different things going on in the world, and, and I've had the opportunity for some reflection. The, and I'm going to talk about several different things, and hopefully I can tie it all up together here in a minute. So um, let's, let's open with a word of prayer. Hear my prayer, Heavenly Father. Have mercy upon me, a sinner, and save me. We ask that you open our hearts and minds to the knowledge and love of you in Jesus Christ. Grant that we may receive your Holy Spirit for the healing of our souls. Illumine our thoughts and enliven our hearts. Teach us in this time so that we may know you in your Son, Jesus Christ, and live. These things we pray in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, my last podcast was on June the 5th, and I made the comment, I think it was in, I, 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 that, on June the 5th, the same day, I went to Baylor. And um, I was at Baylor for four days for an N.T. Wright con, uh, conference or a summer intensive study. It was very good. Truett uh, Seminary had invited us to come, and um, I was very fortunate to get to participate in that. And so when I came home, I was way behind. I had all the stuff I needed to get done. I came home, um, I don't know. Into last week or whatever, and I needed to write a paper. I started working on that. I was talking to some people. And I needed to talk to my uh, PhD advisor or whatever about getting my application all finished, and I was working on that, and I needed to write a blog, and I didn't work on that because <laughs> there's none that went out last week. But anyway, and I was, I, mean, I was all tied up. So in the middle of all this stuff, since with all these things on my mind, I decided I should re-caulk my bathroom shower, and that's what I did. Lord have mercy, that was a lot. That was a lot harder than I expected. I, apparently, there's some skill involved in that little task, right? So anyway, while I was doing all this ta- this caulking in my shower, and it really took quite a bit of time, I ended up and had to tape stuff to keep the caulk from going all over. You know, use that painter's tape. That was tedious, too. And then I'm like a pretzel, bent over like a pretzel inside my bathroom, you know, shower stall or whatever. And I thought, this has got to be the most uncomfortable thing ever. And frankly, it was. But um, then I had the wrong kind of caulk. Then I had old caulk. Then I was like, oh, Lord. It was just a mess. So it took me forever. But um, it gave me a lot of time to think. I had a lot of time to think while I was out in there trying to pull up caulk and put in new caulking, tape up all this, whatever. It was a lot. And I was thinking about all the things that I miss these days. And there are a lot of things that I miss these days. One of the things I really miss is laughter. I mean, you know, public laughter. I know that there's the whole uh, to-do over Dave Chappelle and st- stuff like that. But I miss um, I miss our ability to laugh at ourselves. And I think the reason we can't laugh in public and the reason there's this big, you know, brouhaha with, or there was, I guess, with, with Dave Chappelle or whatever, Um in, in public was because it's because that we um, we take ourselves far too seriously some years ago this chair staff parish called me and um, she was somebody who was not fond of me at all how much she did not like me and um, so I had a difficult time with her and she was a challenge but she would call me every so often in the evenings she would just chat up a storm and tell me something. so she called me the first time she did this she called me and she said I just saw an interview with Dolly Parton and it made me think of you and I said oh all right and so she said yep if they're interviewing and they ask her if she minded dumb blonde jokes and Dolly Parton just laughed and she said and and I was like oh okay and um, I mean I don't particularly mind dumb blonde jokes either I've been known to be a dumb blonde from time to time but anyway so she's asked Dolly Parton and she said um you don't mind Dolly, uh Do- the interview I asked Dolly Parton you don't mind dumb blonde jokes and she said No, I don't mind dumb blonde jokes, because I know I'm not dumb. She goes, I also know I'm not blonde. (laughs) I thought that was hilarious. I really did, too. I thought that was funny. But anyway, I later found out the reason she was so friendly at night was because she was an alcoholic, and I didn't know that. But anyway, I found that out after a couple of years. She called me, and she was real chatty. I'm sorry, excuse me. You know, how old do you have to be to talk about the good old days? Remember back when? Things you miss from way back when. Life really wasn't like it is today while I was growing up. When I was younger, it's really not like today. You know, I remember I remember what it was like to live when people were not so myopic, not so short sighted and not so caught up in, in um themselves. Do y'all remember that? I mean there seems to be such obsession with the self, me and my feelings now I feel. I was eating dinner the other night with family and friends and there was a um, young man there of whom I am genuinely fond and somebody I really do actually respect. But anyway, I was teasing somebody else and I made a comment that offended him and he um, pointed it out to me that 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 what I said was offensive. And um and it and it was a joke and we were laughing and so we all had to stop laughing. And I apologize because I sincerely do not want to hurt the young man's feelings or whatever. But the inability to laugh at ourselves cheats us of, a, of, a, of an important means of facing the truth about ourselves. I mean, it's facing the truth about our shortcomings. You know, I, um, I, can, I can it's important for me to be able to laugh about the, my, my inability to be all the things I'm supposed to be. Because if I have to face the burden of my failures for example, um, or my, the burden of my, my what do I say, sin, so to speak, without a bit of laughter, then, then it becomes too burdensome and too heavy and too weighty. But um, the ability to laugh and go, wow, don't measure up, there you have it, that's helpful. Okay. Kind of a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down, you know, a little bit of laughter helps, makes it easier for us to face the truth about ourselves. Right. So anyway, but I'm old enough now that I'm talking about the way it used to be, and I think we ought to return to some of that. We need to learn to laugh at ourselves again. We're not the do-all, be-all, and end-all of the whole wide world. And anyway, another thing that I miss, and this is something else I miss in society today, are proverbs. Now, proverbs are a teaching tool, and there used to be a host of them that we used all the time. You know, certainly the most obvious one is pride comes before a fall. And I want you to know I heard that more than once while I was growing up, and I've heard that as an adult several different times. And I have seen it come true in my own life more than once, just for the record. But anyway, um, I always think about that when we're waving these flags. When we talk about LGBTQ pride. I want to go. It doesn't matter what what your what your gender fluidity thing is. It doesn't matter what your race is. If you're a human being, pride comes before a fall. And the more you celebrate your pride, the more the 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 greater your fall is going to be. And that's that's that should concern all of us. I mean, out of genuine affection and concern for human beings, rather than look for the destruction of people in search of self, you know, we need to be concerned about the fall that's coming following pride of any sort in any human life. My parents used to say to us all the time, early to bed, early to rise, makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. And my dad locked the door at 10 p.m. after I was an adult and had gotten a divorce and moved back home. 10 p.m. We're home. We're going to bed. His house. Yes, sir. Early to bed, early to rise. Ben Franklin said that. Healthy, wealthy, and wise. i got to say, I'm not sure that we live in a generation seeking wisdom any longer. I really don't think that we are. Um, Do you ever hear people talk about wisdom in pop culture, the pursuit of wisdom in pop culture? I mean, I don't. We don't talk about what's wise. We talk about what we want. We talk about what we believe. We talk about how we feel. But I don't hear much about Wisdom. I have to say, as as in my example or my illustration with the young man uh, at dinner the other night, I find it really hard to talk to young people. Um, They believe, um, it's hard to break through, I think, um, what I call sort of a shroud of superiority that cloaks ignorance on their parts. Um, They know so little and they think that they are so morally superior and intellectually superior and they know so much i didn't really realize this but they had uh, I, the more i've looked into it the more i learned about it um they've been told that they are smart that they are sophisticated that they are free and they are brave and in reality most of them are none of those things uh, i haven't seen it i think most of them are kind of oppressed and unhappy and lonely and isolated I think they're terribly lost. And, and they don't possess critical thinking skills. You can't talk to them about facts, for example. Facts, facts, facts don't have any bearing on what they feel. Um, and they're ruled by their emotions entirely. And, and um, they've been taught that anything that's prior, the last, say, 75 to 100 years uh, is not worth knowing. And therefore, as a result, they don't know where they came from and they don't know who they are. You know? It's a hard generation to communicate with. I don't know how you get through that kind of like, it's obtuseness, it's, their world is unusual. You know, in the last podcast, my topic was hold steady. My point was that no matter how, th- how crazy things get in our society today, no matter how crazy things are in the world around us, you need to hold fast to Jesus Christ, hold steady in faithfulness to him. You're going to, we're going to need that more and more and it's going to be more and more important in the future. I'm sure I'll re- I'll repeat that over and over again. We need to hold fast to Jesus Christ. And we need to do so in prayer and in humility and in compassion. You know, because you know, we live among a lost people. Lost generation, of lost people. You know, I think that people believe, I think they don't know what they believe, but they do believe something. <laughs> I was watching a uh video yesterday. It popped. Up. I didn't start I didn't watch it. After I watched a little bit of it and I thought, I don't I'm not really interested in this at all. But they're talking about a spiritual revolution was coming and stuff and um you know I did read the comments later. I went back and popped it open to and I was gonna close the window and I started reading the comments and I was laughing, but I have to tell you, they were all these Christians talking to one another and they were saying terrible things. You know, like, I don't know, they were explaining about I don't know. It's the cat kind of Catholics versus the Protestants, and they were you people are going to go to hell, and you people aren't part of the real church, and you people don't know the Scripture, and you people like good grief, alive! And it, it, it was really incredible. Look the things that they said. Wow! So some of the lost people in our society today are Christians. Just for the record, some of them are right. <laughs> Whoa, right. This friend sent me a blog piece. Another topic going on. He sent me a blog piece, and it was written uh, by a young man who said that we don't listen to each other anymore. Uh, that we need to take the time to hear the other side, even even if we're disagreeing uh, with the with the people, we still need to listen to what they have to say because it's the it's much harder when we listen because we discover that um, there are things about the other person that that we can respect and understand things that make that person real to us and it's much harder to be in conflict with somebody who is real with a real person right across the table from you it is is harder you can no longer be as dogmatic as you are on about a position on an ideological position the other person has a point this friend of mine called me and said okay it's official can we can we um like uh say that progressives are evil and i was like no you can't say progressives are evil okay (laughs) you can't and um it's true that, um, you know, I mean, uh, what was I going to say? You can say that 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 ideas are evil, but you can't say people are evil. That's just wrong. But he was he was joking. And he did tell me later that he'd gone to a website and he was reading some information on it. And he said, you know, I can see how they think what they think. And he said, I, I understand that. I think they're wrong still, but I, I understand what they think. And I think that was the young man's point, you know, that, that if we... Um, Talk to one another. We'll begin to understand why somebody thinks the way they think. You know, When I'm teaching, I always try to draw the distinction between theological uh, response and a pastoral response. You need to know what your theology is. You need to understand what is truth. Theology is the reason to talk of God, and so you want to know that what you're saying is true about God. You want to pursue truth in that manner. But when you're dealing with individuals, in my own life, in your life, we need to be like... One step at a time is about all we take. So when somebody's in a pickle and you're the pastor, you all you want to do is make them is help them move one step, invite them one step further toward Christ. Just move one step closer toward Christ, and they don't have to understand everything. And you don't need to be a theological genius to put somebody in their place in the middle of suffering. That's not that's not what you're asked to do. You're asked to love them, and so pastorally you can respond with compassion. I think theologically, where demands. The gospel demands compassion of us theologically, but I don't think, I want to say, having solved worked it all the way out for yourself, and you think you understand everything, you want to be real careful about beating somebody over the head with that, because pastorally speaking, when somebody is in the middle of a world of hurt, you want to be able to hold their hand and, and just help them take one step away from the hurt, just a little bit, just a little step, that's enough. Let the Lord work in their lives. You don't have to teach them everything you know, but you have to know what you know, right? The other day, when I was canning pickles, and I'm so excited about this, they're for my sister. I'm giving. I made. Um, I made pickles because we had extra cucumbers, so I made. Um, Bread and butter pickles, and it's the surprise for her. So don't tell her. I'm all excited. It's the surprise for her. Um, so, as I was making, while I was canning these pickles, I watched this interview with this woman, and she was a progressive woman. She was being interviewed with some sort of political thing, and she was talking about some job that she'd had that had taken her and required her to interview. Uh, conservatives or traditionalists and the uh, traditionalists and she's talking about in the political arena and she she said the problem was is that she found agreement with with some of them in some of the areas of her own thought and her own ideas and stuff and so as a result she began to lose i mean her family and her friends thought that she was um consorting with the enemy so to speak right and she made a comment that i thought was very telling In, in her 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 proposition was basically the same as the as the article that had been sent to me uh that if we need to listen to one another and listen what the other person says because they have a point even if you disagree with their point it's much harder to hate the person right she made a comment that i thought was very telling she said 80 percent of people agree on 80 percent of the issues maybe so i don't know that seems reasonable to think i believe you know I do think that the splintering of people and the building of barriers between us, between human beings, based on race or gender or whatever, is intentional. I think that's intentional, and I think it's bad. You know, how do you ever hope to learn anything if you never talk to people with whom you disagree? And how can you ever um, impact another life for good if you refuse to interact with people who you think are wrong-headed? I mean, what... Why would we stand in such condemnation? Why would we stand in such division? Why would we encourage such division? Because really, most of us want about the same thing in life. We want to be able to have enough success that we can enjoy life. We want to be comfortable. We want to have family and friends around us that we love. We want to have a meaningful job and a meaningful relationship, those sorts of things. There's there's a lot of commonality in human beings across the earth, across the globe. And maybe when the Christians start listening, we ought to start listening, you know, to each other, for example, instead of yelling stuff at each other on, on well, I guess, yelling um, on, um, on comment sections, on, on videos or whatever. Uh, we might actually have a spiritual revolution if the Christians started paying attention to one another. And we need a spiritual revolution in our society today. And I think it needs to start with us. You know, with all the long hours I had trying to caulk the shower, I had time to listen to videos and to podcasts and things like that, YouTube videos that friends had sent me um, that I had not sat still and listened to. And uh, I watched one, and in it was about, uh, there was an interview about how God was saving the Hebrews from you know, the Egyptians and what he did on, on, on their behalf uh, in the Exodus. And, it, and the podcast focused on the arrogance of Pharaoh, which would be the political leaders and stuff, and how the Hebrews were caught between the devil and the deep blue sea, or I guess between the, the Egyptians and um, the Red Sea, technically speaking. But anyway, so they were likening that to the current time, that God is going to save the Americans, the Christians and the Jews in America. And uh, they spoke about the powers of darkness. And I agree that there are powers of darkness at work in our world, right? Um, I agree with that. There, have, I've also um, written blogs that I think God is going to act. I've said it in podcasts. God's going to do something. I mean, there's all these players out there, and they think they're all so important. And they all think they... If you combine all the power of all the people in the universe, all the people in the world today, it will not equal God's power. It will not equal God's influence. He is the main player in all of society. You know? But that doesn't mean that God's going to rush in and save all of us right here and now um, because we are so good. The rest of the story of the Exodus is that there was a whole generation of people who would become so accustomed to slavery that they didn't know how to live freely and they didn't want to live freely. They kept wanting to go back home, even though, they were, even though they were miserable. They wanted to be in Egypt as slaves. And therefore, they spent 40 years wandering in the desert waiting for that generation of people to die off. And I think that's a real indictment because I have to tell you, I think that that applies to some of us. We have this mishmash of patriotism and Christianity in a lot of our and a lot of our beliefs, you know. Or maybe it's more like prosperity in christianity and i'm not talking about a prosperity gospel that god wants you to be rich but instead i think we take the abundance of our success you know the abundance that we have and we call those blessings and it's wealth and it's knowledge and it's privilege or whatever i mean if you look at the rest of the world we have a lot of wealth we have a lot of privilege and stuff um and it's you know there are you know there are all these different ways in which we define blessings that have nothing necessarily to do with the with the Savior, who was crucified, and we take these uh, blessings of success and comfort, and we we take those, we we take success, our success, we take which is which is driven by capitalism, and we take our comfort, which is driven by you know um, advancements in technology and things like that, and the ability to buy and to purchase and to research. And I am for all those; that's fine, that's good, or whatever. It is. But they are not God's blessing and favor in our lives, and we make a mistake when we think that, and a lot of us do think that. I do think that too many of us associate, um, success or the, the, you know, American dream or whatever with, with God's favor, with, with Christian blessing, and, and I'm not entirely sure that we merit that just, just yet. Um, however, it's that connection, I think, that's kind of dangerous. Something similar was said in another podcast, and again, I'm spending all this time caulking a shower and, and pickling, you know, um, making pickles or whatever, and, um, So I'm listening to all these podcasts and videos and stuff like that. And this one was talking about the rising tide of hatred toward Christians in the nation. And the buzz phrase is, if you haven't heard it yet, they talk about Christian nationalism. And um, that Christians are the problem. That This Christian nationalism is what is wrong in our world today, and it's bad, and it's evil. and And the problem is that the opinion makers have done a good job of shaping public opinion on other issues and there's no reason to think they will not successfully uh shape public opinion on this as well. And that's and that's kind of frightening. But um, you know, uh they were. but I was listening to this podcast and they're talking about that and they're saying that Christians are responsible for hate speech and, and uh they stand barriers between individual freedom and progress and, and stuff like that. And um you know, the, the, it's the Christians who are creating all the problems with the LGBTQ stuff and with the abortion stuff. And uh, <laughs> if you go back to the comments on the video on spiritual revolution, i got to tell you, the Catholics and the Protestants uh, are, are appear to be, you know, there's a lot to say that we are arguing with one another and um, appear to be a rising tide of hatred there in the spiritual revolution, whatever's happening, okay? Now, there is some truth to the problem of Christian nationalism, right? And it is a problem because, um, and it, it's a complex to- topic. Um, if you read the original documents of the, United, of the U.S., of America, with you read the Founding Fathers, it was clearly written by Christian men, and women, truly, okay? It, it's also true that Christian beliefs do not support popular society, um, the values of post-modernity or whatever, uh, Christianity is singular in its emphasis on monogamous heterosexual marriage. And we think that that's a, a widespread phenomenon, but it's really not. That comes That is distinctly Christian in origin. And um, even the Jews practiced polygamy into the 11th century. Um, and at some point, I guess it fell out of favor in the Holy Roman Empire, probably. But um, anyway... the values of postmodernity are not going to match up to the Christian claim for truth. Is They can't. It's not possible. The Christian claim for truth is um, not going to support popular society today. Um, but you remember the proverb: sticks and stones may break my bones but words will never hurt me? You need to hang tight to that. You know, now, if words hurt people's feelings, then it's called hate speech. And so the most important thing that's about to occur is we're going to hate Christians because Christians are the source of hate speech. The contradictory nature of the postmodern mind is readily on display nearly any place you look. But um, you need to be aware that that I think that's going to be okay. I think it's going to be fine to hate Christians and hate Christian nationalism. That That's going to be a narrative that we hear over and over again. And we need to make sure that we don't believe patriotism and material success in the United States is a sign of God's favor because it's not necessarily at all, all right? Um, If Christianity, if you're, what I will say about it is if your Christianity is tied to American patriotism, then somewhere along the way, you've made a wrong turn Um, because Christianity is tied to Jesus Christ, not to American patriotism. And um, I'm for America. I'm for patriotism, for being a patriot to, you know, what America used to be, anyway. But I've heard far too many of us talk, um, and and sometimes I, I can do that. We that Christians link Jesus Christ with politics, and and this is on both the right and the left side that we think that we should link Jesus to our politics, and we can, and then he's going to give us what we want. Um, but elections are not going to save us in any form or fashion. I mean, I don't think if we went out tomorrow and we elected a conservative president and we put in place, you know, past policies, I don't think we'd be more Christian. I don't think we'd be more like Christ. Would we be more humble? Would we be more inclined to be loving and compassionate? Would we be more, um, um, what do I say, virtuous and good? I'm not sure. We've done a whole lot of compromising with the world around us in, in terms of greed and in terms of our, our behavior, you know? And um, I don't think an election is going to save us. I'm not saying we shouldn't be a Christian nation. I think we should, but um, if you're not, because the problem is, if you're not going to be a Christian nation, what kind of nation are you going to be? If you look at the alternatives, they're not good. Just for the record, these are not good alternatives. Our other choices are not not all that great. So, I mean, I'm for being a Christian nation, basically, right? And most of the things that we hold dear, and all the freedoms that people want. Those are derived from our Creator. Those aren't derived from other people. I've talked about that in the past. But, so I mean, like, you can take progress as far as you want, but eventually that progress alone, you've seen it happen before. I want to take all these rambling points and draw them together and, and, some, and make some quick points. You know, all this, I'm talking about all these things that I've, but I've been thinking all week long. And um, I believe that Christians are in for some serious challenges in the future, and I am not a triumphalist sort of Christian that we're fixing to be victorious over everything, and God's going to win for us. He's going to go out there and fight. I think we've been content with a little God. That's who the Christians are today. We have a little God, and we have, uh, you know, the comments, as funny as I thought they were. The truth of the matter is they revealed people who knew nothing or understood very little about what Christian the content of Christian faith. As the church prepares to divide between progressives and traditionalists, I have to tell you, I think there are a great many of discussions going on that understand very little about what the meaning of Christian faith is and the content of Christian faith, what it means to be saved, who Jesus Christ was and is, who God is, what is it? What is Christianity, and, I, and a lot of us don't know very much. I think that we need to repent. We do not have a little God. We have a great God. Repentance is not a popular idea, but it's still true. We need to repent. I believe that American Christians are long overdue a time of repentance for a lukewarm Christian life. We've lived on the fence between the progress and success of our secular world and a privatized Christian belief, and that is not not who Jesus was. That is not who his disciples were, and that is not who we can be. It's not faithful that way. You know, I don't think God is going to accept anything less from us than repentance. He does not want us to be lukewarm. He wants us to be passionate for Him, either, you know, no matter what. Be passionate for Him. Do you think God is going to save us for capitalism so that we can have more? So that we can be greedier? So we can have more stuff? I don't think that He is. But I do think that God is faithful. I do think He loves us. And I think that if we will turn back to Him that he will welcome us in mercy and in love, that he will forgive all of our sins. I think that he is, he is a good God. The next point I want to make is that I think, I think we can all see this, that progressivism is on the rise. We've made all this progress and we're very proud of that. Remember what I said about pride though and all this progress. The only progress that we've really made is technical and that's the delusion that we have as a as a uh, society as a nation as a culture we have this delusion of progress we haven't made any real progress it's only technical human beings don't progress and american culture today more closely reflects i think i said this in the last podcast as well more closely reflects ancient rome than any kind of advanced peoples we haven't advanced as human beings we are devolving back to ancient rome and living as ancient Roman culture, even with pagan religion on the rise around us. And I think that, that it's true in the church as well. We have a whole lot of progressive people who think that they've come really far and they've got something new and they don't have anything new. Um, they don't have anything, I am I say, original in the propositions that are going on inside the church. Um, there's a lot of progressive people in the church. But they feel like it's time to leave behind, you know, colloquial Christianity, leave behind the the simple gospel or whatever. But if our culture and our progressivism has led us to first century Rome, Jesus countered that entirely in his life and in his teaching, and um, and they crucified him. And um, when you advance beyond Jesus Christ, then you are not Christian anymore. And I would say that in progressive Christianity today, we are pre-Christian before Jesus Christ sort of like antiquity and pagan religion that that's what progressive christianity is it's really kind of pre-christian paganism and we need to bear that in mind in the coming months as we talk about whether we want to be progressive or traditional because remember progressivism has gone backwards a long long way backwards we also need to remember that we're not really advancing There's nothing that human beings are doing today that hasn't always been done. It's gone on in other places, other times, other centuries. Now, I will say, I don't think that we need to hide, right? Um... To the contrary, I think we've been given the gift of working with God for the salvation of the world. Christ came into an environment very similar to our own. Um, that, that's gonna, that is the subject, basically, of my PhD, the first century discipleship making. And, um, you know, he um, came into the world full of paganism, full of hedonism, full of nihilism. You know, exactly the world we live in today. Although we think we're advanced, we're not. They thought they were advanced, too. They thought they were superior to the prior generations as well. We've been given the gift of working with, the God for the salvation, working with God for the salvation of the world. That is who we are. That's, that's what it means to be a Christian. But we follow a crucified Savior, y'all. We have a, he allowed himself to be crucified because he loves the world and he wants to save the world. And that is who we are supposed to be as his followers. We are supposed to be a people who love the world and who are willing to be mocked and willing to be scorned for their salvation, for their blessing, for their good. And that is hard to do. I get that. I am totally, I totally understand that. I love to be right. I think we ought to be honest. I love to be right. I do not love to love. Okay? And um, loving people is hard to do. You know what? I was early on in ministry. I was at a, I was in a small church and there was a, on the outskirts of town and there was a, man in the center of town in the lar- larger Methodist church, and I went to him one time, I was like, how do you put up with these people? And this lady is driving me crazy, and she's always saying all this stuff, and she's making me crazy. And this man looked at me, and he said, and he was a pastor, who was older, had been along for, around for a long time, and had a lot of years under his um, uh, belt, years of ministry under his belt, and he said, looked at me, he goes, you know, I figure that if God can put up with me, the least I can do is put up with some of the people he, that he's put in my pathway, I can try to put up with others. And I thought, oh, oh oh, 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 right. I like to be right. It's hard to love. But I've always remembered that. If God can put up with me, surely the least I can do is put up with others. Loving people is hard. And I, and I will tell you that I think that that there's persecution. Uh, the persecution of Christians is coming in our society. If you want to be serious about the gospel, I think that you're going to get to experience persecution. I did not believe that five years ago. I'm not sure I believed that three years ago. I sure didn't believe it 20 years ago um but anyway at least not widespread it's already happening in some places it's already happening with people who can't get jobs or people who um need to take their children out of school people who are being you know bothered and things like that um there it's already happening in different places and it's happening in the church um i think that's really shocking but it's true we're seeing it happen in and um in in the church i heard a wise man say one time that you haven't suffered as Christ suffered. You haven't truly been persecuted until you're persecuted by the church. You know, Jesus suffered at the hand of religious people. That's who That's who killed him. It wasn't the Romans. Um, it was the Jews, the religious people who killed him. And it is religious people who persecute his disciples. So you need to choose which side you're on. This isn't a popularity contest. It's a faithfulness contest. Who are you faithful to? Are you going to follow Jesus? And you're not even... It's a big enough contest with yourself, with your, inner, with your inner selfishness and your inner wishes and wants and your inner sin. You need to, you need to strive. That's your contest. You don't, you're not competing with anybody else. Friend and I were talking the other day about what the church is supposed to do in the middle of these circumstances and how are we supposed to share the gospel? How are we going to reach people? How do we impact the uh, nation around us? And I will tell you that I have no earthly idea how to do that. The church doesn't know what it believes. But you know what I do know? I know that God knows how to reach people. He does. And I know that the hearts and minds of people, He knows I know He understands those. And I know that He knows the words that they need to hear. So if you want people to know Jesus Christ, then it needs to start with us knowing Jesus Christ. You know, to be able to hear what um hear to hear him when he speaks, to be able to be willing to follow him when he calls us. That's what we need to do. If we want people to know Jesus Christ, it starts with us. You need to make sure that you spend time in prayer. Make sure that you draw close to Christ. And if you seek Him, He will find you. You know, Pray to love, because love is a gift of the Spirit. You don't draw it out of yourself. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's definitely not of ourselves. You need to learn the Gospel. You know, I'm not talking about being able to quote the Scriptures. I'm talking about being authentic in your Christian belief. You should read the Bible every day, but you do so in prayer. They teach me, Lord. You know, grant me understanding. I can tell you that you're not going to attract people, that we are not going to attract people, we're not going to be enough uh, to keep the faithful going, you know, that Christianity is not, but authentic Christianity is not a belief system for living your life. Authentic Christianity is communion with the living God. It is intimate fellowship and nurture of of, of, of our time in His presence, right? And that is worth everything. That's what I want you to understand. That is the wellspring of life itself. It is greater. It has greater worth than anything else in our world today. Anything else ever from all time is this communion with God, the giver of all life. And when we exude the life we receive in prayer and in worship and in fellowship with God, then life that pours forth from the throne of God will have everything that we need, whatever our circumstances are. We will have everything that we need and we will be living witnesses to the God of love and salvation. So no matter what comes next, if you stop trying to find all the answers and you start trying to find to know God, right, who's revealed in Jesus Christ, then it's going to come out all right in the end. I believe that. You can't control the world. You can't, you can't open other people's minds. You can't vote, on, vote in salvation for everybody. But you can abide in the shelter of the Most High God. And that is the most important thing because that is worth everything. Everything. That is worth everything. And that's where you need to be. I want to close with a reading from Proverbs 21. It says, No wisdom, no counsel, no wisdom, no understanding, no counsel can avail against the Lord. The house is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. No matter what you see, no matter what you hear, no matter how dire things look, no matter how smart people claim to be, no wisdom, no understanding, no counsel can avail against the Lord. The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. You need to let God be victorious in you and pray to be a disciple who brings victory you know, to the lost and broken and sinful people around you in Jesus Christ. Let's close with prayer. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Have mercy upon me, a sinner, and save me. I ask you, O God, to call your people to lift our eyes to you, that we may see your glory. Send your Spirit to walk with us, to guide our steps, and to remind us throughout each day of your infinite wisdom, as well as the safety we find in the shelter of your love. These things we pray in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Y'all be blessed now. You hear?
0: You have just heard the latest podcast with Elizabeth Moreau. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Podcast, or whatever service you might use. Please rate, review, and share this podcast with others. Be sure to look us up on Facebook and like and share this podcast with your friends. Also, if you appreciate this ministry, please consider making a donation to Servants Feast Christian Ministry through our website. Join us next time as we continue to explore God's truth as it speaks to our world today with transforming love for all people.